Welcome to Slaughterhouse Stories. I hope you enjoy the stories I have for you tonight. Hello to all you things that go bump in the night. Hello to all you humans as well. Welcome to the show that brings you creepypastas, short scary stories, and dark horror-themed poetry from all across the world. This is the Slaughterhouse Stories Podcast, Episode 26, Dolly Molly. I'm your host and narrator, Ghost Train, telling you to lock your doors, get under your blanket, and keep the lights on. If you'd like to write in and have your email read on the show, Email slaughterhousestoriespodcast at gmail.com with creepypasta requests or your own real-life paranormal encounters. Before we get to tonight's first story, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you're enjoying the show, please head over and leave a review through iTunes and help spread the word to your friends, family, that shadow that watches you sleep, whomever. Tell them, be a listener, not a victim. Now, let's get spooky. Tonight's first story brings us a second straight appearance by Jay Shen. This is one of the first stories I've ever read from her, and it's still a favorite of mine. This story is a letter written to a mother who's desperate to know what has happened to her son, Timothy. The writer knows the mother is going crazy with fear and worry, and wants to ease her mind and let her know that Timothy is not only okay, but perfectly safe. But once she reads what has become of her son, that fear and worry will get even worse. Listen as I read this letter to you and enjoy, dear Mrs. Chalmers. Dear Mrs. Chalmers, I realize that this letter is reaching you at a very difficult time. I'm not going to claim to know how you feel, not being a parent myself. The worry and constant anxiety you're experiencing must be unbearable. You're probably not sleeping. Every time you close your eyes, I'll bet the worst possible scenarios play themselves out in your mind. Well, allow me to put you at ease once and for all. Your precious little Timmy is completely safe and in my care. I must say, he is a remarkable boy, though I am reasonably certain that it was nothing you did that made him the way he is. You don't seem to have it in you to raise and inspire a child like Timothy. He is truly gifted, and perhaps it was for the best that he wandered away and into my sights. Now, I'm certain he'll have the chance to reach his fullest potential. Allow me to explain how Timothy and I met. As you know, it was Halloween night. Ah yes, my favorite night of the year. The night when everyone goes around, masquerading as something other than themselves. So many people roaming the streets, covered in blood. I don't stand out on Halloween. I don't have to hide. It's the freest I get to be all year. I just killed some filthy whore by a dumpster in an alleyway. Hookers get murdered all the time, often by me, and no one seems to care, even when the news feels like reporting on it. That's what makes it so easy. If there's no one to miss them, there's no one to demand justice. This one, though, she was special. She had such a pretty mouth, with big, sweet lips, eyes like a damn beanie baby, and the softest, smoothest pair of tits you could ever want. I could tell she was new, young, 
not yet ruined by the street. Those are my favorite ones. I fucked her in the alleyway. Something I don't always do. And then I muffled her screams with one hand while slicing through her flesh with the knife I held in the other. It's my favorite feeling in the world when they stop fighting. And ever so gradually, wind down from high anxiety to a complete stop. Sometimes, I swear I can feel their heartbeats weaken and fade and peter out completely. God damn, do I love it so. Once I finished her off, I picked her up. Remember, I didn't need to worry about blood on this particular evening and chucked her head first into the dumpster. She landed on the inside with a louder thud than I expected. But what I expected even less was a gasp I heard in response. Someone was hiding behind the dumpster. I'm not too proud to admit that I was scared. I mean, who wants to be caught? I sure as hell don't. You understand, don't you? I had my knife ready, just in case I needed to use it again, and slowly crept around to see who this witness was. And there he was, this little boy in a clown costume. He's told me since then that he's ten, but damn it if I didn't think he was a toddler or something. A bit short for his age, isn't he? That's okay, though. Special comes in all shapes and sizes. Well, I regret it now, but of course I barked at him. I demanded to know what he was doing, hiding behind that dumpster. What he said damn near floored me. Do you know what he said? He said he'd been out specifically looking for me. How about that? Naturally, I asked him what the hell he was talking about. And he explained that you and his daddy make him watch the news every night because in his words, you want him to be smart. Well, let me tell you, you sure did get your wish on that one. He said he's seen a couple of news stories about the guy who keeps killing people. And so he wanted to come and find me. He picked Halloween to do it because it was the first time you were letting him go out alone. He knew I mostly went for whores and even picked up on the kinds of settings where I like to do the deed, which is how he knew to wait for me behind a dumpster in the shitty part of town. See, smart kid. Of course, I asked him what he wanted to find me for. Now this, what you're about to read, is extraordinary. Honestly, it chokes me up. I thought I was beyond these kinds of feelings, but your boy, your remarkable little boy, do you know what he said? He said I inspired him. He said my work excited him. He told me that his dream was to be just like me. How could I say no to that? Sure, I'll admit that I was totally prepared to kill him, but I knew when I heard those words and saw the sincerity in those little eyes of his that this was something I couldn't just throw away. And so, I've taken little Timmy under my bloody wing. Of course, he'd hate that I just called him that. You know how he is. He's exceeded every one of my expectations and passed every test I've thrown at him with flying colors. It's amazing how quickly he earned his first kill. I'll never forget the look on his face as he sliced into that woman's chest. It was a face of pure, unadulterated joy. I've never been so proud. And that's not all. He's getting better by the day. In fact, he started going out by himself now. That's where he is tonight. I decided to take the night off to write you this little letter. I can hardly wait for him to get back and tell me all about who he managed to find and what he decided to do to them. He's astoundingly creative. So, Mrs. Chalmers, please don't fret. Timothy, as you can see, is completely safe from anyone or anything that might try to harm him. But whether or not they are safe from Timothy, well, that's the question, now isn't it? Sincerely, 
the guy who keeps killing people. Timothy is safe and sound and learning how to be the best version of himself. That he found himself such a good mentor to teach him and take care of him. Maybe Mrs. Chalmers can take comfort knowing her son is happy. Let's leave our pint-sized killer to his killing and move on to our next story of the night. This one, by an unnamed author, is a story about yet another young boy. But instead of being what some would call a monster, this one has seen a monster lurking outside in the trees, following with the other neighborhood children as it moved around swiftly. But now the monster is taking notice of the boy. And while the monster was once the one being watched, now it's the one who watches. Turn on some extra lights and lock those windows while you listen to I Don't See Him Anymore. I used to see him often. Well, I guess I shouldn't say him. More like it. Then I moved away to another state. Another city. I don't see it anymore. Not physically. Though it creeps through my mind in its swooping, slinking way. High up in the air one moment. Then sliding across the ground the next. Over and over and over. Its limbs propelling forward. The mere thought sends ice-cold shivers running down my spine. It used to watch me. But it can't anymore. At least, I don't think it can. I wouldn't be surprised, however to wake in the early hours of the day when the sky is still dark and look to my window to see those eyes, those teeth, see its smile, that awful smile. I hope I'm dead before that day arises. I hope I've seen the last of that monster. When I was little, I lived in a small suburban neighborhood. It wasn't the kind you're probably thinking of. Big, white uniform houses all lined up in perfect rows with green lawns and two garage doors. No, my neighborhood was much older. It was built sometime in the 50s, and every house looked different, but most had started to fall apart. The people living there were hardworking and honest for the most part, and their long, hard lives showed on their faces. No one really talked to anyone else. That was one of the only things that I didn't like about that neighborhood. My mother always said the neighbors just liked to keep to themselves, that they had nothing very important to say anyway. Looking back on it now, I think they did have something important to say. Something very, very important. I saw it for the first time when I was eight years old, during the summer. It was very hot that season, unusually so compared to all the summers I've had since then, so I'd stayed inside most of the morning. Then, after lunch, my father hooked up the sprinkler we used for the garden in our backyard. I excitedly got into play clothes and rushed outside into the blinding sun. Those were the days, those innocent days in the sun, where I played without a care. I had no idea I would soon be missing them. So, I was outside, running and laughing and jumping through the cool spray of water when I saw it. At first, I didn't notice it. It was just a rustle in the bushes. Then it was the crack of a branch, and I looked up. Something, something dark moved through those leaves. Something as black as midnight, yet it shimmered when the sun hit it. It ran or galloped. To this day, I'm still not sure what to call it from a small forest behind my house, leapt over my neighbor's fence and disappeared from my view. I was curious, so I chased it. The pavement burned my feet, but I didn't care. I watched, along with a few other neighborhood children, 
as the creature swept in and out of the shadows of trees, making its way down the stream. It was large, probably about eight feet tall if it stood upright, though it never did. Instead, it stayed hunched over, its hind legs curled up at its sides, the knees protruding grotesquely past its torso. Large, white, curled claws grew from bony feet and long, slender fingers. Its arms were gnarled, the joints bulging under twisted muscle and skin. Skin that was black and rubbery, stretched thin over whatever bones the beast had. It caved in at odd places and almost looked as if it were rotting. Still, when it crept through the sun, patches glistened gray and blue, as if it were made of some kind of foreign glass. Then there was its face. The skin was the same, stretched over an oblong oval skull that jutted out in the back. Its eyes were sunken deep within its head, large and round and hollow. They glowed a weird white yellow, one I'm sure doesn't have a name to this day. Really, it wasn't even glowing. It was more of a pulsating, ever-present light that seemed to come straight from some non-existent soul deep within the monster's core. It always seemed to smile. Its mouth was stretched, like its skin, far across its face. You know the expression, grinning ear to ear. It was literal in this case, each corner reaching each side of its face, where ears would have been if it had any. Within that smile were two rows of pure white teeth, long and sharp. In fact, each tooth was so long, it could never close its mouth. The sharp tips just clacked against each other as it skulked around, weaving its head slowly from side to side, as if sniffing something in the air. I used to find this silly, since it had no nose. Now the thought terrifies me. We kids just watched it, in a sort of dazed amazement, never having seen something like it before. I suppose I thought it was just some species I yet to learn about in school. I wish this all it had been. Then, our parents called us back inside for dinner, and we grudgingly obeyed, not wanting to get in trouble. I'm not sure about the other kids, but I never quite forgot about the creature I'd seen. I got preoccupied with other things, sure, but its image was always in the back of my mind, burning there, waiting for me to remember it late at night while I tried to drift off to sleep. It got its wish. That night I was lying in bed with my covers pulled up to my chin, despite how hot I was. The nightlight across the room barely gave me comfort from the thoughts of ghouls and ghosts hiding in my closet or under my bed. Then the beast's image slipped into my thoughts. I gripped the covers. It hadn't scared me before, yet I'd been mere feet away from it. But now, after having the image shit my mind all day, my brain registering its unworldly appearance, I started to fear it. It was bad. I knew that now. Then I heard a tap. I froze. Another tap. I didn't dare move. Then there was another, and another, and another. It was at my window. I could hear its long claws scrape across the glass, hear its razor-sharp fangs as they clicked together. I could hear its breathing, heavy, husky, in and out, in and out. Finally, I could no longer bear it. I tore my eyes from my nightlight and gazed through the dark room towards my window. It smiled when it saw me, an impossibly huge grin that split its face in two, white teeth glistening with saliva gleaming eyes seeming to pull every fear from my consciousness and unconsciousness to the surface. I screamed. By the time my parents rushed into my room, it was gone. No traces of his existence left behind. They said it was just a nightmare. It wasn't just a nightmare. 
I never saw it in the daytime again, but I saw it every night. After a week, I stopped screaming. I just cried silently in my bed. Then after another week, I stopped crying. It knew I was scared. I wasn't going to give it the satisfaction of seeing me tremble. It wasn't until I found the lock on my window that I was truly terrified. I'll never forget the clunk that locked me when it had been moved for the first time in years. Or the waning screech of the window as it slid open. Or the heavy breathing at my bedside. I'll never forget those eyes as they gazed at me from beyond my covers. It knew I was scared. It thrived on that. It wouldn't leave me alone. Everyone says I went crazy, but I didn't. It just wouldn't leave me alone. I hardly ever slept. My hair started to fall out, and I always looked tired. My parents put me here, in this psychiatric hospital. It's a nuthouse, that's what it is. I'm not crazy. It's been years, years. The nightmares still happen when I do sleep, so they keep me here. I suppose I like it better this way, though. After all, the monster can't get me here. You know, the funny thing is, I can't even remember where I used to live. I can't remember the state or the city. I can't even remember the country. Did you hear a tap? Well, another flashback driven mad by the ghosts, demons, and monsters that are out here waiting for you fleshies to let your guard down. Perhaps you have. Perhaps a poltergeist is already moving things around your house, and you haven't even noticed yet. Maybe you... What's that noise? I told you. We're all here. Now that you're scared, allow me to offer you this week's recommendation. This week I'm introducing you to another scary story narrator. His name is Ghoul Angel, and he has one of the deepest voices I've heard from a narrator. His channel only has two videos out, but there will be more very soon, including a video featuring a guest narration by this spooky motherfucker. Go over to YouTube and look up Ghoul Angel and subscribe to his channel. You won't regret checking it out, but you will regret not listening to this recommendation. Now that I've given you this week's recommendation, let's take a trip down to open mic night at Beazel Pub. Welcome, fiends, to open mic night at Beazel Pub, where we invite you to sit right here and go into the more poetic side of fear, poems of murder, creatures, and ghosts, all the things that scare you the most. This week, we start with an unnamed poet, writing about a prince who starts off life feeling one way, loved, happy, but as he gets older, things change, get more difficult and he has to turn to an old friend. And in the second, another appearance by M. Lycanthrope finds his meeting with someone who only ever wanted to please the One Most High, to serve his God as best he could, only to end up punished for his devotion. Let the rhymes carry you away and enjoy. This is the tale of the Prince by the Sea and the Lamentations of Cain. Once, there was a prince who lived by the sea. He had hair of gold and eyes full of glee. His days of youth were careless and free. The prince loved to play on the sand. He loved it more than that of the royal band. 
he took walks with his mother, holding her hand. They walked along the coast, shore to shore, dreaming of things beyond their world and more. The prince was filled with love, thick to the core. He grew older and still would stay by the sea, looking around and exploring the beach. He loved to throw rocks and loved watching them sink. Soon, the prince aged into a fine young man, and his days grew further away from the sand. He could seldom find time for an ocean so grand. As he reached the ripe age of 15, he felt much pressure from his parents, king and queen. They seemed to care less as he aged, so it seemed. It grew worse for the prince when he returned to school. His classmates called him ugly, stupid, uncool. He cried at night wondering, how can they be so cruel? That made the prince lonely, and soon he grew sad, begging for the love he once so abundantly had. He felt so alone and so depressed that he nearly went mad. His trust in others shrank. Anxiety grew to new heights. He became irritable and started one too many fights. His life was a struggle in the dark with very few lights. He wondered why so little paid him mind. Why did they seem to give him less time? Was it something he did that made them unwind? He didn't realize he had changed so much for that was why they all made such a fuss. They tried to stop him from changing for they felt like they must. He felt strongly towards what they thought wasn't right so they tried their best to lock him up tight, but that only made him lonelier in the night. He started isolating himself in his tower. He hated those above him who held so much power, so he decided to spend time with his friends for an hour. The princess to marry and his few comrades seemed to be different, almost just as sad. To him they seemed distant, and so he felt bad. He didn't want to get in their way. Who was he to ruin their bright, happy day? He realized then he had faded away, Ignored by his family, who thought him a brat. His friends weren't worried. He thought in the corner where he sat. He doubted he could even find a friend in a rat. He grew sick and tired of the world at this date. Couldn't someone save the prince before it was too late? All of these bullies were pushing him towards fate. One day he decided he'd had quite enough. Life was beating him. Reality was too tough. He was tearing himself down. To himself he was so rough. He ran to his old friend, his greatest, the sea. He remembered his days as a child, happy and free. A pain in his chest reminded him they were all simply memories. He cried his heart out as rain started to fall. He wondered how he'd become so impossibly small. He wondered if the people around him would miss him at all. One thing led to another, and he started to cry. Tears poured out, and he screamed why. After a while, he pulled himself together. Time to say goodbye. He took a deep breath and sung a soft song about a prince who had been beaten for what was too long. He wondered when it had all started to go wrong. Then he reminded, throwing rocks in the water, how his mother smiled at her favorite daughter. Then the boy knew his dreams had been slaughtered. He thought for a moment, standing on his beach. In a big broken world, a little prince stood by the sea. He realized then, just in his reach, was peace. He smiled. As he tied a large rock to his arms, he decided to go where he'd feel no harm. Behind him, his friends cried out in alarm. Had they been there sooner, it would not be this way. But to their fears, they'd arrived much too late, for the little prince had decided his fate. He took one look back and smiled quite sadly. I can't take this anymore, this pain upon me. And he took a step off the royal docks and plunged into the sea. They wanted to save him, but the water was much too deep. 
He didn't come up for one minute, two minutes, three. They cried when they realized what had become of the Prince of the Sea. How did we not see it? They yelled to the sky, but not an answer could be found as they huddled together to cry. It was hard to believe that someone so happy would want to die. The prince that they knew was so humble and kind. He only laughed and had such good ideas in his mind. He was handsome, smart, and very refined. Unlikely as it seems, the loneliest people are the kindest. The most depressed people surely smile the brightest. And the most damaged people are by far the wisest. Now the prince was one with the sea. He would never be alone. How could he be? Now no one could hurt him. The prince of the sea. Cursed to wander the land, punished for devoting my all to the divine, the one to oppose me shall fall where they stand, the fruit of the soil is no longer mine. First born in the garden of our Lord, a life bought from the Most High, at the emergence of my brother my heart soared, for he was the joy of my life, I cannot lie. Present me a sacrifice, only your most prize will suffice, a demand made by the one above all, as righteous men, me and my brother answered his call. On his altar for the holy sacrifice, I've gathered the best fruits of the ground. My brother searched far and wide in his flock, filling the best will suffice, an offering of the best specimen around. From the heavens descended a fire, it engulfed my brother's beast. Our Lord had found the object of his desire, forcing my heart in pain to recoil. Only on the carnage and the gore of an animal he shall feast, for the Alpha and the Omega had no interest in the fruit of the soil. Present me a sacrifice, the Lord demanded again. My brother presented his best beast, while I came empty-handed to my master's feast. For my greatest prize was not grown in the ground or raised among a flock. Rather, the one who hailed from my father's stock, my flesh, my dear brother, I offered him as my sacrifice, for only my most precious could suffice. I raised my stone dagger and pierced my brother's heart, spilling the blood of my most beloved upon the hollow ground. Ethereal flames engulfed my sacrifice. The heavens suddenly were torn apart. His holiness released a thunderous roar, appalled by my brother's demise. What have you done, you wretched son of men? The blood of your brother cries from the ground. The heavenly voice shrieked in my face. Seized by fear, I dared not utter a sound. The dirt shall reject you. You'll never find your place. For your crime, I condemn your roots to never take hold. And if I am to be slain, I pleaded with my lord. Falling to my knees, I begged his holy ghost. The one who shall rise a hand upon thee will suffer sevenfold your pain. You shall bear my mark. Thunder divine voice behind the angelic host. Eons have passed, yet I wander all the same. How come from grace did I fall? Was my deed truly a crime? Why do I must still tremble in shame? In my fate, I cannot find any reason or rhyme. For my wish was to please the one above all. The poor, poor prince just didn't see any other way out. But once again, people should remember, there is always a better way. Get help if you need it. And poor, poor Cain. He does everything to make his God happy and give him the biggest sacrifice ever. And all he gets out of it is shunned and cursed 
That doesn't seem fair at all, does it? And this is supposed to be a loving god. Now that open mic night is over, let's get out of the pub and visit that tiny little house once more. Because now it's time for The Dollhouse. This month, we find ourselves at a 99 cent store, where we get introduced to young Audrey Parvis, out shopping with her mother. Looking around, she finally spots something she wants, a beautiful Victorian doll that she has named Molly, and she just has to have her. Her mother agrees, and despite some protests from the store owner, Audrey is taking home her new best friend Molly. But sometimes, your new friends aren't what they appear to be. How will things go for Audrey? How will things go for her mother? How will things go for Molly? Find out with me as you listen to Dolly Molly. Audrey Parvis was turning 10 this year. May 8th was on a Sunday, and it was Saturday afternoon. Audrey, being a terrible person at dropping hints, her mother brought her to the 99 cent store letting her choose her own birthday present. Now, just look around and let me know if you see anything. I'll be looking at novels over there, her mother had told her. A knick-knack here, a curio there. It was a quaint little shop. Audrey didn't know what to get. There were so many things to choose from. She just about settled on a stuffed rabbit toy when she saw it in the window display. A beautiful old Victorian doll with brown hair and brown eyes, with a red dress with blue trims, Oh, she's so pretty, she said, in awe of the beauty of the doll. She happily skipped to her mother and brandished the doll. Miss Parvis raised the doll up like Audrey did. Wow, something like this in a simple 99 cent store? You can buy it, dearie. She handed it back to Audrey, who ran to the old cashier. I'd like to buy this doll, please, sir, she asked politely. The old man squinted at the doll and said, Oh no, you wouldn't want that doll. Confused, she asked, What? Of course I want this doll. He shook his head and said, Well, all right, but... His next words were mumbled under his breath. She took the doll off the counter and held onto it as Miss Parvis paid for a few books. On the way home, she couldn't stop looking at the doll. Such ornate features, done with perfect accuracy. Such a beautiful doll needed a name. Molly. Her name is Molly. She hugged the doll tight on the way home. Upon even closer inspection after arriving home, she noticed a flaw. Molly had an extra finger in her right hand. Audrey pinned this as weird, but nothing is perfect. After playing with the doll for the entire day, it was bedtime at 9 o'clock. The doll was porcelain, so she left Molly on the living room table to play with after breakfast. Her mother kissed her goodnight and walked down the stairs to her bedroom. Audrey had lovely dreams. Her playing with the living Molly in a meadow and dreams such as that. Then she awoke hearing clacking, tiny but audible clacking footsteps. They grew in volume, sounding like they were getting close to Audrey's room. Then there was high-pitched mumbling. Audrey stopped whimpering and listened closely. First step, Molly's on the second step, Molly's on the third, 
Refusing to take any more, Audrey yelled out, Mommy, Mommy, come quick! The tiny footsteps pattered away as Miss Parvis rushed to her daughter's room. What, what, what? Mommy, I heard footsteps, and I think it was Molly. Her mother sighed, unhappy at being woken up at 11.15 at night. She took Audrey and turned on the light in the living room. Molly hadn't moved an inch from her position. Audrey unhappily went back to bed as her mother left her to rest. She managed to get 30 minutes of rest before the sing-song chanting and clocking returned. The chanting continued past three. Molly's on the fourth step. Molly's on the fifth step. Molly's on the sixth. Calling her mother again, Audrey insists she believes it's Molly who's making the noises. Another checkup on Molly reveals no change. Audrey Veronica Parvis. I am really getting tired of this act. Molly is a doll. She can't walk. She can't talk. And there's nothing to be scared of. Audrey looked uneasily at Molly. The longer she stared, the more Molly's expression looked malicious. I have to work overtime tomorrow and you have daycare, so please sleep and forget about Molly. She'll seem less scary during the day. Uh, oh, all right, Mommy. She sullenly climbs the stairs to her room and lies in bed. She manages to get some sleep when the clacking and chanting come back. It exceeded the sixth step and continued. There were only twelve steps to her room. Molly's on the seventh step. Molly's on the eighth step. Molly's on the ninth. M -m mommy She couldn't help yelling out. Her mother didn't respond. Molly's on the tenth step. Molly's on the eleventh step. Mother! She screamed out. Silence was her response. Molly's on the twelfth. There was silence in those heart-pounding seconds. But the doorknob jangling broke the silence. The door creaked open. There stood Molly, holding a steak knife, all bloody. Audrey scrambled under her bed, hoping Molly didn't see her. Molly killed your mommy. Now Molly's gonna kill you. She grabbed Audrey by the hair and pulled her out from under the bed, pointing the knife towards the crying little girl and said, Molly's in your room. On the corner of Cedar Boulevard and 24th Avenue, Molly is still in the window display in the 99 cent store, still run by the same old man. She's waiting for another victim to fall for her charm on her hand. She now has eight fingers. Audrey and her mother should have listened to the store owner. Now Molly gets two more victims and two more fingers on her hand. How many more fingers can she possibly fit on one doll hand? I'm excited to find out, and I'm sure all of you are as well. So please, Flushbag, find that 99 cent store. Now, I believe there's enough scares for this week. I hope you will join me again next week for more stories that are sure to keep you afraid during the day and awake at night. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the stories that I had for you tonight. And until next time... Stay spooky.